Hey, good morning. good morning. Wow, is it good to be together or what? Yeah, it feels really good. I've seen uh, some of you who are returning. Maybe this is your first time back, uh, you know, post-COVID. And so we welcome you. We're so glad some of you have come because we've, we got kids ministry up and going again and hugs started today. So whatever brought you back, we're glad, uh, really glad that you're here. Welcome, welcome back. Uh, to being together. Those of you online, we welcome you. We're glad that you're part of this experience as well. We want to continue to move ahead, but be safe and take sensible steps uh, as we do that. I also want to welcome those of you that are brand new to our church. I've, I've had the opportunity to meet many of you. Maybe you found us online or whatever. We welcome you. We're glad that you're with us. Uh, and it's been a wonderful opportunity through a crazy time, right, to explore who God really is. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today. I love it that we're in this series called Foundations, and this is the fifth part or the fifth week in our series. And if you've uh, been with us, you know that we're talking about the building blocks of our relationship with God. Very important. We're talking primarily about those of you who have discovered who Jesus is. He's your Savior. And now what? What do you do now? You have the assurance of eternal life. And yet now God calls you to grow and to change. So in this series, we've talked about a lot of things. Prior to this, we started with uh, the assurance of our salvation so vitally important that you nail that down, that you understand the assurance of your salvation apart from works. I then talked about the confession of our sin, how important it is for us in fellowship with God. Brad talked about the Holy Spirit and how important it is for us to be moving in that living dynamic relationship with him. And last week, John talked about the reality of the two natures inside of the believer in Jesus Christ. So today I want to talk to you about your growth toward maturity. Again, I'm talking to the believer in Jesus, your growth toward maturity. What does it mean having become a Christian? What does it mean for you now to grow and to assume responsibility for that? So the truth is you're born into God's family the moment you believe in Jesus for eternal life. Isn't that wonderful? That's what grace is all about. The unconditional promise of God. And yet having been born into God's family, you were born, obviously, to borrow the physical analogy, you were born a spiritual baby. That's not meant to be a pejorative term. That's how the Bible describes it. When you're born anew, you're a baby. You're a spiritual baby, and so you can either stay a baby or you can grow toward maturity. Now, a three-month-old baby is cute and cuddly, but a 30-year-old baby leaves something to be desired. <laughs> Many of us have become Christians and we've just sat around. We haven't made progress. And so I'm going to talk to you today about making progress, about moving forward and growing in your relationship with God. Because God doesn't want you to remain a spiritual baby. He wants you to grow and thrive and be moving toward maturity in Jesus Christ. This is normal. This is not exceptional. This is what God wants for each one of us, to grow and thrive as a maturing believer. But how do we do that? I'm going to explore that a little bit with you today. So Trish and I were recently with our three grandsons in Colorado. We love taking hops out there as much as we can. Uh, they're eight, six, and three, and man, what a bundle of energy and joy they are. And they're all at that age where they love hearing stories about uh, when I was a young boy, or when their dad was a young boy, kids just lean into that. They love those kinds of stories. And so I'm telling them all kinds of stories about when I was a little boy. And, you know, you get in that repetition thing and kids just, they want to know again, again, or tell me another one, tell me another one. And so one of the stories I told them about their own dad, 
uh, had them in stitches. I love it when they, they can, you know, look at their own father and go, ha, 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 that's so funny. Uh, so Trisha and I, for those of you that don't know, we have two sons, uh, Ben and Brandon. They're about two years apart. And when they were growing up, uh, in our household. I remember sort of explaining to Ben, Trish and I were talking about prayer and you can ask God for anything. And Ben, our older son, uh, started his prayer like this. He said, God, I pray that I would get bigger and bigger and that Brandon would get littler and littler. <laughs> Sp- spoken like a true big brother, right? Oh, it's so classic. The problem is that can actually happen to us spiritually. Some of us become Christians and we grow, we mature, we get bigger, so to speak. Others of us just sort of flail around and we remain where we are and we get littler and littler. So I want to talk to you today and create a kind of urgency around the topic that that is essential for those of us who believed in Jesus to not remain where we are, but to continue to grow. And so I'm going to introduce just a couple of principles related to this. But here's the first one. When it comes to your spiritual maturity, you're either slowing or growing. You know, it's not this sort of in-between land. You're, you're either moving away from Jesus or you're moving toward him and growing in him. You're either slowing and growing when it comes to your spiritual life. So I'm starting today in the tiny epistle of 2 Peter. And as I set that up, I want to invite you to turn there in your Bible, whether it's a Bible with pages. If you need a Bible, you can grab one out at our welcome desk out there, or whether you've got an electronic Bible. They both count, okay? So 2 Peter, uh, and I'm going to be beginning today at chapter 3. So it's fascinating to read letters in the Bible by some of Jesus' disciples for a couple of reasons. Not only are they inspired by God, we embrace the fact that all of the books in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, are uh, breathed by God, as the scriptures remind us. But when you find a disciple who has written a book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we know a little bit more about that person. So Peter was a disciple of Jesus. You might remember him. I think of Peter as the impulsive disciple. Peter was the guy who would speak when nobody else would. Peter, Peter was a guy who would open his mouth and insert both feet and wonder why he couldn't walk. Okay? He, just was, he was just impulsive. You might remember it was Peter who in the, the boat that night where the storm arose, Jesus is walking on the water coming to them. It was Peter who said, hey, Lord, just say the word and I'll come to you. And Peter got out of that boat and for an instant walked on water. That was Peter. You, you might remember that it was Peter who who on uh, the night that Jesus was betrayed, denied Jesus three times. This is a real history. This is a man who failed. He knew the heartache of disappointing his Lord and he knew what it was like. I, I remember when you, know, you read in the scriptures where they, the, the party comes to arrest Jesus that night. And we're told that Peter draws a sword and whacks the ear off of one of the guys in the arresting party. Now, that's a fascinating story for me on so many levels, not the least of which is Jesus leans down, we're told in Luke's gospel, reattaches the guy's ear. It was his last miracle before the resurrection. And the people still arrested him. 
Jesus has just performed a miracle. But what's humorous to me about the story is we, we got a disciple that's packing heat. This guy has a sword. And I find it so amusing to me that, G, that when Peter draws his sword, whacks off this guy's ear, Jesus just says to him, sheath your sword. He doesn't say, where did you get that? He doesn't ask for his carry and conceal license. I'm getting into another sermon. Let's be careful, okay? So, so it was Peter who this impetuous, like impulsive uh, kind of guy. But following the resurrection of Jesus, Peter had a fire in his belly. You realize it was an event that turned the world upside down, right? Every one of the disciples is cowering in the shadows. Jesus is crucified, comes back to life. That event changed everything. It emboldened the disciples. And it would be Peter and John who now are arrested by the Sanhedrin. Listen to the fire in Peter's belly. He says before this Jewish court, you crucified the Lord. Now, this is the same guy hiding in the shadows, denying Jesus three times. Where does that come from? It comes from the powerful assurance that Jesus did what he said he would do. He has been raised to life and that emboldened Peter and the other disciples. So Peter continues with a similar intensity when he concludes this second epistle that I've invited you to turn to here. Let's look at chapter 10, 2 Peter 3. Peter writes toward the end of this little epistle, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy godliness? Now, this is an interesting way to end this letter. Essentially, Peter is painting a picture of this catastrophic end to the world. As Jesus arrives in the day of the Lord as a thief in the night. And he does this by explaining to his uh, original readership that you need to consider what manner of person you are in holy conduct and in godliness. He goes on to say just a couple verses down, we're looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth on which righteousness dwells. So, okay, now what? All right. So Peter set up this whole thing, by the way, in about, I think it's six weeks from this weekend, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the end of the world. You know, because we're so close, right? I mean, who knows? Who knows? But uh, we're super excited to begin in several weeks a series called The Politics of Jesus. I know, I know. Brace yourself. We're going to have a good time with it. So he continues in verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, since you know these things beforehand. What things? How it will end. He's already stressed godliness and what it, what it means for them to be people of holy conduct. Therefore, he says, beloved, since you know these things, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. He's writing to believers and he's saying, guys, this is coming. We're going to answer before Jesus. We're going to stand before him. Let your conduct be holy and godly. Therefore, since we know this is coming, he says... Beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness. So like, like Peter's original audience, every believer is capable from fall in, of falling from their, their steadfastness in Christ. 
So what do you do to prevent that? Well, that's what we're talking about today. Here's what Peter says, the very next verse. How do you prevent that? How do you prevent falling from your steadfastness? We grow. We grow spiritually. Verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forevermore. Now, I think we'd all agree that last words are important words. If you've ever been by the bedside of someone dying, you tend to lean in and listen very carefully. What are they saying as they make their way? In this case, last words are important words. This is Peter's final letter, and he's coming toward the very end of that. And what does he say? Hey, guys, this is what's coming. You should know that. Don't lose the grip on your steadfastness in Christ, but instead grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. Grace should never get old. It's a theme of our church around here in case you haven't picked it up. We enter a relationship with Jesus through his grace and we can continue to grow in that grace. But he also says, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So can I just say it this way? Spiritual growth is all about getting to know Jesus. More so than just certain practices of behavior. Because if we're getting to know Jesus, that will change the way we live. But the priority is getting to know Jesus, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he was praying uh, just prior to his crucifixion in what's known as, uh, I think, more accurately, the Lord's Prayer, not the Lord's Prayer that we tend to know. This is the prayer the Lord prayed, John 17. He prays for himself. He prays for his disciples. He prays for those who would believe after him. Here's what he says in in, uh, verse 3, John 17. And this is eternal life, the only place where we're told given a specific you know, definition, so to speak. This is eternal life, Jesus prays, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, eternal life itself is defined, defined within the realm of getting to know Jesus better. So we've already acknowledged that when it comes to your spiritual maturity, you're either slowing or growing. But there's another takeaway from Peter's words, and it goes like this. No one can grow for you. No one can grow for you. There's no avatar here, right? There's no no stand-in for you. There's nobody you can slip a tin to and say, hey, listen, I just don't have time. Would you take it from here? Would you grow for me? No. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the word grow here in the Greek is in the imperative. You know what that means? It's a command, not a suggestion. It's a command. Grow, he says, you grow. We must do it. Now, I've thought about this a lot, especially as it relates to church. Because I'm convinced, because of many conversations I've had with some of you, that many of us have fallen into the trap of looking to the church to do for us what the church never could. The church cannot grow for you. All we can do is, with the help of the Holy Spirit, attempt to provide environments where you can learn and grow and get challenged, but you got to do the work. You got to decide, I'm going to show up. 
And with God's help, I'm going to give it my best. With God's help, I'm going to determine to move forward because nobody can do it for you. You have to take personal responsibility in your growth. I like to also say, you know, growth is never passive. You don't just become a Christian and sort of sit there like like some amoeba, just kind of floating around. Right. You got you've got to engage. I love the words of Jeremiah in chapter 29 when he says, and you will seek me. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. You will seek me, God says, and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Do you hear the diligence behind that? I will be found by you, says the Lord. That's God speaking. I don't think that's changed. It's because it's written in, in Jeremiah's book. God says, you're going to see, if you seek me, you'll find me, I promise. Because God wants us to, but listen, listen very carefully. God never cheaply dispenses knowledge of him. He never just says, oh, you know, because, because you, you seem to be a nice person. Okay, here you go. Now he says, listen, if you want to find me, I can be found, he says. But it means that we have to search for him. I like the way Larry Crabb says it, a little arresting in his words. He says, we find God to the degree we want to find him. And it may be in ways we don't suspect, but that statement is true nonetheless. So how do you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, there are four growth practices that are typically suggested. You find these in many parachurch organizations like Crew, Navigators, some of those. And they go like this. It's about uh, getting into the Bible and prayer and fellowship and witnessing. By Bible, we mean you need to study the Bible. You need to read the Bible. It's God's word communicated to us. Peter says in his first epistle, chapter 2, he says, Like newborn babies, crave the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That's how we grow. If we're left to our own thinking, we're in trouble. We need our thinking radicalized. We need our thinking in line with God, and we find that in the Bible. Prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing but by everything through prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer. We are to be people who get before God. Not with just a grocery list. We are to pour our hearts out before him. When I was uh, preparing this, I had this flashback of this uh, situation that occurred years ago. I had a friend call me, attended our church. He said, listen, I'm standing in the lobby uh, of an office building. I'm about to go upstairs and buy cocaine. Talk me out of it. So, wow, no pressure. Okay, so. So I began to go through the litany of things we would all say. Listen, you'll trash your family. It's not worth it. Being addicted to this kind of drug is just is only you're going to lose your business. You're going to do everything else. Why? Why would you do this? And then I said, after getting through my little sermon, can I pray for you? And so I prayed for him and said, God, would you just help him to turn around, walk out of this place? Would you just empower him right now? And he said to me afterwards, after he had turned around and walked out of that building, he said, you know, I appreciated all that you had to say about the cause and effect and destructive nature of what I was about to do. But when you prayed for me, I was empowered to leave that room. I was empowered to get out of there. Okay. So <clears throat> fellowship, which actually is not fellowship, but, <laughs> but it's fellowship. Okay. Which means connecting together. This is the one another's in the scripture. This is believers connecting with each other. This is Hebrews 10:25. Uh, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, here's the temptation. We have the wonderful technology of online. 
But there's something about being in a room with people. And so if you're joining us online, at least get in a room with people. Okay, at least be together. And then there is witnessing, which around here we we talk about it as influencing people to find Jesus. This is having the ability to explain the gospel. I find for some people, this is the most intimidating part. And depending on who I'm talking to, I'm a little intimidated by this sometimes. Okay, but witnessing, we can also begin with our own story. We can just say, let me tell you what God's done for me. Okay, and so we don't have to be master apologists. We just have to know what God has done for us and be able to simply explain the wonder of the free offer of eternal life based on the death of Christ. So uh, Dallas Willard in his um, book, Spirit of the Disciplines, says that a spiritual discipline uh, is an activity in our power that we that we do to enable us to do what we cannot do by direct effort. In other words, it prepares us. This is a whole analogy of, you know, you can try all day long to be a good Christian, but training is what we need to do. And there's a difference. You can't just say, I'm going to go out and try to run a marathon if you haven't run at all. You have to train leading up to that. The same is true uh, spiritually speaking. So in addition to the big four, there are other spiritual practices Uh, that many have suggested, I find extremely helpful. And and let's divide them into spiritual disciplines of engagement and abstinence. Things that you do, you engage in doing, and things that you abstain from doing that form disciplines as well, okay? Again, we don't have time to go through this. I'm I'm about, um, this is a seven-part series that I'm giving to you, okay? So, So disciplines of engagement, what are they? Study. Not not talking about just reading the Bible, studying the Bible, worship, bringing our hearts before him, however you choose to do that. Celebration, being able to say, yes, this is worth it. Celebrate the wins. Service, use your spiritual gift to serve other people. Prayer, we've already talked about. Fellowship on the earlier list. Confession, we've talked about that in this series. Submission, the discipline of submission. Now, these spiritual disciplines were practiced by Jesus himself and later popularized by by a group of people called the Church Fathers or the Desert Fathers. From about the second century uh, all the way through like the AD 700s, okay? Typically outside uh, the surrounding area outside of Egypt, okay? These people have so many incredible writings and are helpful when we look at this list. And they especially are powerful at defining the disciplines of abstinence. Here's that list. Solitude. Again, each of these, you're abstaining from something. So solitude, you're abstaining from being with people as a spiritual discipline. Solitude, silence, very similar. Dallas Willard, Henry Now, and others suggest that solitude and silence are the foundational disciplines. They help set the environment for the practice of the other disciplines, all right? Fasting, again, doing without food. Frugality, doing without thinking you got to buy everything you see. Chastity, doing without sex. And even if you're married, there's precedence for, you know, little seasons of that. Secrecy, okay? You, you, can, you don't have to get credit. Boy, this, this swims upstream in our current culture, doesn't it? We're all about likes, followers, give me credit, look at me, pay attention to me. Secrecy, you can do things that only God knows, It's a shared secret with God. And then, of course, sacrifice. 
Like you, there, there are things that might be hard for you, but you do that. So there's, there's a, an often neglected other idea related to our spiritual growth that you may not even see on a list of things, but I'm going to share it nonetheless because I think it is vitally important to our growth. Here it goes. You can't grow apart from pain and hardship. Like you just can't. It's not just like this extra Like it's woven into the job description of a growing Christian. Now, I grew up as a young Christian believing the opposite. I believe that a lack of hardship in my life would be an indication of God's favor and blessing and an indication that I was growing. Now, if you hold to that, when life begins to become unraveled or when you have certain things come into your life, And you can be following Christ wholeheartedly, but you will instinctively ask, oh, no, I've done something wrong. Like like this is the this is the family surrounding the the crib of a dying infant who are told by some yo-yo that they didn't have enough faith, you know. So eventually we'll turn that in on ourselves and begin to consume ourselves. Right. You can't grow apart from pain and hardship. One of the best kept secrets about maturing in Christ is that it hurts. So if we ever hope to grow, we must write into the job description the reality of suffering. I love Paul when toward the end of the book of his letter to first Corinthians, he says, a great door of effective service has opened for me. Now, now, most of us cling to the first half of that verse and go, wow, that's awesome. Because if I'm in God's will, everything will go well for me and I won't have any hardship or pressure or trials. And this means that God has paved the way. You know, I'm sprinkling rose petals as I go down following Christ. There is an effective door of service that is open for me. You know, the second half of the verse. And there are many adversaries. Because those two go hand in hand and often the will of God, more times than not, will be accompanied by difficulty. And so, too, will our spiritual growth. God allows adversity. That hurts. God allows pruning. He initiates pruning in our lives. Now, if you need a vivid picture, that's branches getting chopped off. Okay, that hurts. And God disciplines us as his children. So I have to say that next year I will have been a Christian for 50 years. And well, you might want to withhold that, but I'm just I'm just now learning to welcome trials as indispensable to my growth. I have spent most of my Christian life wiggling away from them. Without turning to God and saying, God, you, you have my best at heart. And I turn to you and choose, God, to see this as part of your prescription for my growth. I'm willing to believe you for that. So over the last 10 years, I've grown most profoundly because of adversity. So to be sure, the believer in Jesus has much to rejoice about. In Romans 5, Paul says, we have been declared righteous. We have peace with God. We have access into this grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in hope of God's glory. And then he continues the list in verse 3 of Romans 5. Not only this, he says, 
but we rejoice in sufferings. We rejoice in sufferings, knowing, now notice the progression here. What are we talking about this morning? We're talking about growing in Christ. We're talking about spiritual maturity. Notice the progression. It's indispensable. It starts with suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance, character and character, hope. So if you try to abandon the suffering or wiggle out of it in your life, you are abandoning a major means by which God intends to grow you up. So if we want to grow and change, we can't blame others for our failure to do so. We can't assume the role of a victim. We can't continue to look for excuses for our lack of progress. We've got to take responsibility. Now, there's one more spiritual practice that I'd like to add to the list before I close. And I've never seen this discipline on a list of disciplines, and it's not because I'm so wise or smart. Maybe it's included in all of the disciplines. But I found it extraordinarily helpful in my growth toward maturity in Christ. And I just want to go on record. I got a long way to go. And here's that discipline. Attentiveness. Attentiveness. Am I paying Attention. What, what do we mean by that? Well, the word means vigilance or watchfulness or diligence or focus. So in the major and minor prophets of the Old Testament, we find God always saying through them words like this. Pay attention. Right. Listen to me. Over and over again, he urges attentiveness. And so I want to suggest three questions of attentiveness that I hope will be helpful to you. They've helped me as we seek to grow and mature. Here's the first question of attentiveness I would invite you to consider. By the way, since nobody can grow for you, balls in your court with these. You ready? The first question is, what is God teaching you? So if God is always communicating to us, and I believe he is, he's always teaching us then we should be learning. So what is God teaching you? Like if we were in a small group, we should be able to go around the group and you should be able to say, hey, let me tell you. And it might be the last week or it might be the last month, but it has to be recent. And here's what's fascinating about this. I have all these little notebooks and stuff that I keep to write stuff down in. And one of the things that I think is productive is when you can see over the long haul sort of the seasons that you've gone through. Because it's not like God just gives you, blap, there's the lesson. It's over the long haul. And what are the ups and the downs? What has God been teaching you, for example, the past year? What are the themes? Okay? Grab it, chew on it, apply it. All right? Number two, what are your trials? And without getting super spiritual, a trial is any unpleasant circumstance in your life. Got any? <laughs> we all do, right? What are your trials? Now, reframe those trials in the sense of, okay, if trials are indispensable to my growth, God has favored me by somehow allowing this in my life. And it might even be a bad thing. I'm not suggesting that it's... That it's in and of itself is a good thing. But God can use those difficulties, that suffering, that pain, those hardships, those trials... To mold us if we respond correctly. 
If we turn to him and say, God, I, I'm going to trust you. I wish this wasn't here. I don't like it. God, it's like to say God never wastes experiences in our lives, good or bad. And then finally, what are your spiritual practices? What are they? Do you tend to move toward disciplines of engagement or disciplines of abstinence? We all sort of favor several of these. I, I get that. But, but you should never have to say, you know, I just don't know what to do. Well, yeah, you do. There's a long list of practices that you can engage in. Okay. So over the years, LifePoint has been able to influence thousands and thousands of people to find and follow Jesus. And I am so personally grateful to God for the privilege that we get together to be a movement of God. But if we're all about just getting lots of people to come to church or to join us online, and, and if we're celebrating beautiful campus and God has given us an extraordinarily beautiful campus. It would break my heart if it stopped there. And I think it would break the heart of God and I think it would break your heart. Friends, we were meant to grow. We were meant to change. Not our own strength, with his help. But we make ourselves available and position ourselves and we choose to turn in his direction. We choose to be attentive and move toward him. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we need your help to do that. And we thank you that you have empowered us through your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help each of us to be in check in our own lives, that you would help us to say, God, we don't ever want to settle. We don't ever want to get lazy. We don't ever just want to push this whole idea aside. God, would you help us to grow and mature? Would you help LifePoint Church to be a church of growing, maturing believers in Jesus who influence people to find you for the very first time, understand your grace, and grow in that grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray your blessing on this family. And I ask in Jesus' name that you would help us to change and grow. Amen.